All right, we're going to uh, start something this morning. We're kind of lay the foundation for what we'll be doing next year. The Lord was speaking to me in my own personal life, and then when I talked to Paul, the Lord was speaking the same thing to him and had been doing it for weeks. And we kind of believe it's a theme for the house. I've been studying um, the life of Jesus, you know, from all perspectives, historically, biblically, looking at the, the, the lay of the land and how it was and how he interacted with people, how he interacted with the 12 that were closest to him, how he treated each one of them. You have to do that uh, to get context outside the Bible. A lot of times the Bible doesn't give you a lot of historical context. So if you want to know the path that he took, you have to look at some history from that time frame. But anyway, the emphasis from the Lord was go back and look at the life of Christ. And, and I believe in teaching and studying healing. I believe in teaching and studying prophecy. You know how we do here. We study all those things. We look at them biblically. We teach you how to do them, how to operate in those things. But basically, if you could just mimic Jesus, all of those things would become natural to you. Being prophetic is not something that we should try to just focus on for a season and try to make it a priority in our life. We should be prophetic people. Pathetic, pathetically prophetic. Some of us are prophetically pathetic. <laughs> I let that sing every minute. But seeking healing for a season should not be something that we do in our life. I mean, it's things that we study, we see how relative they are to Scripture. But if we're being Christ-like, raising the dead, healing the sick, all these things, casting out demons, these should be things that we just naturally do because that's who we are. Every day, we should, I mean, there's nothing wrong with treasure hunts. I've been on treasure hunts where you meet and you pray and you get these prophetic things about people and then you go out to the mall or whatever and you actually see that happen. I've done that. And there's nothing wrong with that. But Jesus was on a 24-hour treasure hunt every day of his life. That's who he was. He would get up in the morning and he would do everything that he saw the Father do. How did he see the Father doing anything? It was highlighted to him by the Spirit. He would walk into a crowd of people. He might see one person that the Holy Spirit pointed out to him. He would go to that one person, pray for that one person, and leave. And there could be hundreds more sick around. He only did what he saw the Father do, and he only said what he heard the Father say. If we could live life that way, and biblically we call that living in the Spirit. And that's the goal. We focus on being kind. We focus on being a patient. All these things are fruit of the Spirit, where if we just walk in the Spirit, they produce in our life naturally. We don't have to necessarily make them emphasis of study, which they can be emphasis of study. And we do that periodically. Strongholds, we need to understand that better, how we form strongholds in our mind and in our reasoning and in our intellect. And it perverts everything that we even hear the Father say. Sometimes people tell me that God said something to them, and it is so unbiblical that God would have to be bipolar to say what he said to that person if what they were saying was true. And I'm thinking, he said something to you, but you obviously have a stronghold in your mind that perverted what you heard. Because what you just said is really unbiblical. So how could God say something that goes against his word? And my concern with society as a whole as it pertains to the house of God is that we have started implementing things as doctrine 
that are biblically perverted. And the only way that we can be doing that and calling it from God is to be taking man's opinion over the course of multiple generations and allowing an individual's opinion to be the standard. And every generation takes that standard and they get further and further away from the original truth. I've had my tape measure laid on the table. We've got tape measures and hammers and pry bars laying everywhere. You can't walk without tripping on one which is really a trial for an individual like myself living in the environment in which I'm living. It's very, very difficult to live when you feel like a hoarder. Every nook and cranny has something piled in it. And that's not, I mean, to me, if I lived by myself, I'd have a living room with one chair and one television. There's no need to have anything else. No shelves, no knickknacks, just one chair, a clean floor, and a TV. I mean, that's how our living room looks right now, and it's pretty relaxing to me. But anyway, going back to the standard of a tape measure, if you've ever been in construction, you take a tape measure, and you're going to cut a board four foot, and I got a ruler here, you know, just to illustrate it. This is a homemade ruler. Melinda helped me make it a minute ago. If you measure off four foot and you, quarter, you cut a board, you make your mark, depending on how, what you make the mark with and where you cut, is going to depend on whether that board's four feet. But let's just say you got it four foot and one-sixteenth of an inch. And you took your tape measure and you laid it aside, and you used the board that you just cut as the standard. Every time you make a cut, there's a possibility that that thing's going to grow a sixteenth of an inch. And by the time you make eight cuts, you could be a full inch off of what a four-foot board's supposed to be. Why? Because you quit measuring every decision by the standard. You took a cut off of the standard. We measure out, we cut a board, and now we make that board the standard. And that's what we do with men's teaching. Do you understand that I can get a revelation of Scripture, but I am not the revelation? And I don't have all of the revelation. So you can't use my revelation as the standard. You have to use my revelation to help interpret what Holy Spirit is trying to reveal to you. And for generations, we have taken man's opinion and man's teaching, which are revelatory to our ability to interpret Scripture, but we've made their opinion standard. I heard Chris Ballatin say this, that he's walked, this has actually happened to him. He's walked around Bethel, and people have said, did you hear what Bill Johnson said in his sermon this morning? And Chris Valentin, they would tell Chris, and Chris would say, you understand that Jesus said that first, right? <laughs> they didn't even realize the quote was in Scripture. But they were putting such an emphasis on it because Bill Johnson said it. And Chris was just simply communicating, you understand that Jesus said that first. I love Bill, but Bill ain't Jesus. And see, that's what we do. We become enamored by people. We become just mesmerized by, and a lot of times we become enamored by people because their interpretation of Scripture confirms our bias. However, we want to lean in a situation, we align with people who preach and teach that same thing. I read a lot of times behind people who disagree with how I view things. I do it to see if my opinion has any validity to it, has any foundation to it. 
I read a whole thesis from a guy who had a, a, an opinion that the, the I, I guess the speaking in tongues and, and laying on of hands and healing and all these things had passed. I read his whole, his whole paper that he wrote for his thesis about how all that was gone just to see if I had any validity and why I believe it's still here. And so we take these people that we become enamored by and we take their opinion of Scripture and we begin to use that as the standard. And what happens is by the time we take that interpretation and take another interpretation of that interpretation and we pass that on down for generations, we're way off the original standard. The original standard is Jesus. It doesn't matter what you think. It doesn't matter how you feel. You are supposed to be measured against the standard, and that is Jesus. I don't care what Bill Johnson says. I don't care what Chris Bowden says. I don't care what the person that you follow, T.D. Jakes, says. If it's not from the standard, it is not from God. And if it deviates away from the standard, it is heretical. It is heresy. If it's leading you opposite and away from, and, and, and see, when Romans says, and we're going to get to this, when Romans in chapter 12 said, well, let's don't, let's, let's just go there. First, before we get to that, though, let's go to 1 Timothy chapter 3. And what is happening is God is saying, go back and look at Jesus. Study the life of the standard. And so in, in uh, while you're turning to, uh, while you're turning to uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3, Second Timothy, chapter 3. If we go back and we look at the standard, we study the Gospels and look at the life of Jesus, which is what we're going to do beginning in January. Me and Paul's going to minister together for about three or four months. We're going to take Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and we're going to break them down in pieces, and we're going to look at what Jesus taught. Because Jesus said, teach others what I have taught you. Don't teach others your opinion. Teach others what I've taught you. And so we're going to give you a reading plan. We'll have this ready by the end of this month. And every week you'll know what we're reading. Chapters so-and-so through so-and-so. You're going to read those chapters, and we're going to come in and we're going to discuss the life of Jesus. Because in the day in which we live, we need to be recalibrated. We need to have a, a refreshing, a renewing of our mind to the life of Jesus and what he taught. Because I'm telling you, I'm hearing so many people say, well, I think, I think, I think. It ain't about what you think. <laughs> it's about what he said. And, and if your thinking and what he said are in opposition, then you need a renewal of the mind to tweak and change and renovate how you think. And we all need that. We all have strongholds. The, the, the most deceptive thing about what Paul said last week, I think the most deceptive thing about deception is that it deceives you. You don't know you're deceived. And that's what a stronghold is. But we have weapons to tear those down. 2 Timothy 3, <clears throat> verse 14. Let's start there. You ready? But as for you... Continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of because you know those from who you learned it. He's talking to Timothy, telling Timothy what to continue in. And how from infancy, I think the King James says from a small child. See, Timothy was brought up under the teaching of the scriptures from a child. 
shows the importance and, and the significance that teaching children the Word of God from birth, from birth, can have such an impact in their life. From infancy, you have known the Holy Scriptures. Isn't that something? Isn't that something? Which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Salvation, that word salvation means spirit, soul, body, free. You can know everything that you need to know to be free, spirit, soul, and body, through the word. Through the Word, through the way Holy Spirit reveals the Word to you, through the things that you hear God say relative to the Word, through how God instructs you throughout the day, based upon His Word, breathing on the Word, giving you insight and revelation to the Word, the prophetic Word, which aligns with the Word of God spoken to you in your life. These, these have the ability to set you in freedom, spirit, soul, and body. That's what he's saying here. All scripture, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. So that the servant of God, the servant of God, the servant of God, may be thoroughly equipped. I think the King James says thoroughly furnished for every good work. Thoroughly furnished. If you actually go back into King James and you look, I think it says perfect, thoroughly furnished. That word perfect is the only time that specific word shows up in Scripture. It is not the same word as the other words that we see for perfect in Scripture. It's only used once, and it's only used by Paul in this one letter, this particular word. And furnished is only used by Paul in this one particular letter. And basically what it means is you, you are an individual who is completely equipped for everything that the Father would ask from you. Now, how does that happen? Because I come to church? Well, if you come to a church that's preaching the truth and you hear the truth and you receive the truth, then yes. If you're coming to church to be entertained, you, you, the more I study the pastoral model of the North American church, the more it looks like Catholicism, to be honest with you, which is what they dealt with early in the church. How so? Because we have one man or one woman who becomes the center of attention. And the church exists as a servant of that one man or woman, not the other way around. Look at how we exalt that one man, that one woman, and the body exists for their benefit. Kind of sounds familiar. And we look to that one individual to form every thought, every deed that we do. We mimic. Hey, should we be doing this? Go ask the pastor. He has to say over everything. It's a lot like the priest. It's a lot like the Pope. So it's been trying to infiltrate the, the church from the very beginning. Why does that matter? Because we need to be thoroughly furnished into everything that God would ask of us. And how do we do that? We do that through the scriptures. What is God saying about my situation? It's in there. What's the answer to this? It's in there. Whatever situation, what is God asking you to do? Where's, I, I've, I've said this before and I'll say it again. You need to get 
a word of God, a word from God, the word of God about everything. What does the word say about your situation? This is a situation I'm in. What's the word of the Lord? You say, well, I thought we were to depend on prophetic. Prophetic words are going to always line up with the word. Or else they're not authentic prophetic words. They could be mind manipulation. A lot of people do that. But they're already in alignment and in agreement with what. Now, some of them are so far out there, maybe you hadn't had a chance to get in alignment with it. I don't want to go into all that. But the servant of God is thoroughly equipped for everything the Father would ask of them based upon the Word of God. And this is why we've got to understand what Jesus said. Who was He? He was the Word. The Word became a human being. And then the Word was released to all humanity. And now we have to understand and study what the Word says. Go to Romans 12. I honestly believe it's a season of, I can't really come up with a better word for it, but I guess we'll take the word from the word, the renewing of the mind. That's what's transpiring. That's what's happening in your life. God said you need to be renewed in your thinking about how life is supposed to be lived. And about what you're supposed to be doing. I mean, Leah brought up a great point two Wednesday nights ago. You know, about can you cuss and pray at the same time. You know, we're we're looking at these things and we know what does the scripture say. There shouldn't be a single foul word ever come out of your mouth. So if you've legitimized cursing, you have a perverted view of what the actual scriptures say. That's called stronghold. Well, bless God, I'll cuss if I want to. Stronghold. Let me point that out for you because obviously you can't see it. Now, I understand that you smash your finger with a hammer and you slip. That, that's an individual. That's a problem of an individual who isn't able to control their temper. I understand the cussing is symptomatic of what's going on inside you. But you still have a problem because you have something going on inside of you where you can't control yourself your emotions, your anger, right? But we can be thoroughly equipped to handle whatever comes our way. Why? Because we meditate on the Word. If you abide in me and my Word abides in you. You can't have the Word abiding in you if you don't eat it. I'm going to eat after church today, right? But I'm going to eat again tomorrow and Tuesday. I'm not going to eat today and then fast till Wednesday night, grab a meal quick Wednesday night, and then fast again till Sunday. Are y'all going to do that every week? How many in here fast like that every week? None of you. But you expect your, your spirit not to be anemic when you don't feed it. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, Romans 10, 1. 12, I'm sorry. Whose that is? Romans 12. Uh, Hopefully this message is just to point you in the direction of understanding that we need to recalibrate 
our lives around what the Word says. Let me, let me tell you another reason this is so heavy on my heart, okay? The Lord gave me this back in uh, April the 4th, 2014. God always speaks things to me. And sometimes, Paul, I really don't understand what he's saying. He says things to me. He gives me words. He gives me definitions. And a lot of times it's my fault because I don't pursue them. I'm busy doing something else or studying something else. And a lot of times he don't really mean for me to understand it. He's just giving me something. And then in a couple of years later it comes out and I look back and I'm like, wow. You know, and so he's, he's, he's also encouraging me that way. But he, he gave me these three levels of transformation. Three levels of transformation in the life of an individual. I don't know really what all this means, but I just found it interesting that I wrote Romans 12. And also, the very first level of transformation that an individual has to go through as a believer is number one, Christ as the center. That's how you're transformed, by the renewing of your mind. How? In the beginning, number one, you have to make Christ the center. And then he gave me definitions. Number two, living and walking out God's love. Number three, that you become a body holy filled and flooded with God himself. And all these have explanations as to how it happens. And I just, as he's giving it to me, I'm writing this down, and then I just laid it aside, man, and that's been three years ago. But he reminded me of that, and I went back and picked it up this morning, and he said, this is, this is how I'm going to begin transforming this body. It's time that we release a transformation in this body. It's time that this body experiences a true breakthrough. But you can set up and you can shout all day long about breakthrough. But if you're not living righteous and holy and pure according to the word of God, you can shout breakthrough all day, but you ain't getting any. You might feel here leaving better. You might feel leave here feeling encouraged. But you that don't mean you experience breakthrough. Breakthrough is when this is how you were and now this is how you are. This is how it was, and now this is how it is. Something broke. Can't have breakthrough without something breaking, and nothing's going to break unless the Word of God's applied to it. And you can't apply a word you don't know. I adjure you by the Jesus that they serve. That's going to get you whipped naked. And that's what life's doing to a lot of us. Beating you slap naked. And you're wondering why. Why am, I one, why am I continuously experiencing the same repetition in my life? It's because we shout and sing and jump at these songs, but there's no purity, no righteousness, no holiness. Why? Because we don't even know the word. We're trying to conjure up some memory of some word that we thought we read 10 years ago. We have no life, let me tell you, I don't have a, I, I need to put a Bible back in my bag, a real, a real one. This is not just words in a book, this is a person. This became flesh and dwelt among us. And you need to have an acquaintance with the person of the word. You need to have a true experience with that individual, and his name is Jesus. And this is why God is saying we're going to recalibrate this thing, and we're going to look at my son because he's the standard. 
And I'm going to prove to you in Scripture. And, and we're going to look at a word that's, that has been interpreted one way and it has been interpreted correctly that way, but it has a secondary meaning that's never talked about. And I went back and I Googled everything I could from Bill and from John Paul Jackson and nobody is teaching the second interpretation. And it conf it's confusing to me because it's right there. And I'm like, why is nobody ever teaching that? But it's in Romans 12. We'll get to it in just a minute. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. If, some, if I wrote you a letter, Justin, I, I started off by, Justin, I beseech you, man. What, what is that context? You would, you would if you were just going to casually read my letter, you would probably at that moment <coughs> readjust yourself, you know, and focus in, right? Because you're like, wow, this dude's got something to say right here. If y'all wrote me a letter like that, I'm like, oh, that's a cool letter from Sean. You know, read it. I beseech you, Lee. I'd be like, wow, wait a minute now. Okay. All right then. Hey, turn that down over there. And that's what Paul's saying. I beseech you by the mercies of God. It's a very strong context. It's a very, very strong atmosphere that he had just put on about what he's about to say, that you offer your bodies, that you present your bodies living sacrifices. How many of you understand the concept of sacrifice? What does a sacrifice do? It dies. It dies. How many of you get up every morning understanding that your life is a sacrifice and what you want doesn't matter? <laughs> I'm sorry, that's not the narrative that I live by most of the time. The narrative I live by is I get up in the morning a lot of times and I have my day, how I want my day to go, the things I want to accomplish in my day, what I'm going to do with my day. Now, hopefully when you get up in the morning and you put your face in the Word, you shake out the cobwebs of the night, you get that first cup of coffee or whatever you do and you commune with Jesus, He recalibrates that, right? Because we all do that, right? We all start our day with the word, right? We all start our day with prayer, right? How are you going to engage a word, a world with the word that you hadn't preparate, you know, any preparation of that word in you? A living sacrifice, which means your, your life has been laid down to further and promote the word living amongst humanity. I want to become the Word. Well, you need to start by reading it. I mean, really, how much of the Word do you consume? Let's just pause right here a minute. Think about this. I don't want to know. You're not, I mean, God's not up there checking off. Uh, he read eight chapters today. But at the same time, He is looking to see that you ain't read eight chapters in your life. Because that's how He's speaking to you. Right? How many of you read, you need to read the Word of God every single day. Every single day you breathe air, you need to read the Word of God. Well, I don't believe it takes that. It ain't about what you believe. It's about what you want to know, how you want to be thoroughly equipped to do what the Father asks you to do. And the Bible clearly says you're not thoroughly equipped to do what He asks you to do unless you know the Scriptures. Guys, this ain't me. This ain't my opinion. I just read you verse and chapter. You can't argue with that. You can argue with God with it. 
It's our reasonable service. I don't even talk about that. And be not conformed. Uh, one translation says, which is pure worship, which the Hebrews understood. When the Hebrews understood worship, it wasn't a specific time in the service. That didn't come till later when we actually brought in some of the Greek ways of doing service. The Hebrews understood worship as a lifestyle that was consistently lived. It's how they lived. That was their worship to God. And be not conformed to this world. What does that mean? You tell me. Don't be like it. Now we're specifically about to talk about how you think. So in other words, there's this way of thinking in the world, right? It's this pattern the way people, the way we interpret life. We get commercialized. We, we kind of have a commercialized consumer mentality. And we bring that into the church. I'm not going to that church unless they can, you know, excite me, make it fun, whatever. That's commercialism. Where you attend the house of God, there should only be one question. What should that question be? Where does he want me to go? Is he there? I guess that could be two questions. But I don't think he's going to send you anywhere where he's not. It's not about, it's not about, it's about him. It's about where he has you. It's about where he wants you. I orchestrate my entire life around where he wants me. I don't make decisions to move to Utah and then try to find a church there. That's not how I do things. I do things by asking Father, where do you want me? And then we make decisions relative to that. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed. Change the way you think. By the renewing of the mind that you may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Number two, let's stay there just for a minute. Don't be conformed to this world. Don't allow the world to manipulate how you interpret things. Why? If you have a world system built into the way and the grid that you perceive and interpret information, every time God speaks to you, you're going to filter it through that world system. And it's going to come out on the other side of that filter looking different than how he spoke it. It's when you hear people who are consistently looking for things they can get by with in Scripture, how they can tweak the Scripture to justify whatever act they want to justify. That's a world system that they're trying to filter the things of God through. Because the world system is about whom? Self. Self. Army of one. That's the worst marketing plan I've ever heard in my life. There's no such thing. Ask any man or woman who's ever gone into battle. We need each other. We were created by God to depend on each other. And that marketing plan, even though you may try to understand conceptually what they meant, it is a world way of thinking. It is about me. I'm breaking up or I'm getting a divorce because they don't meet my needs. They were never created to meet your needs. That's your first problem is that you have put a person on the throne of only where God can live. And you took vows that said certain things that promised yourself to that person that you would become a person devoted to them. So whose needs is it about? 
<laughs> oh, okay. See, you, you have taken the world way of thinking and you've perverted even how the Bible says a husband is supposed to treat his wife. Do you understand that scripture is very specific as to how you're to treat your wife? But because she is not operating within the schematics of how you think appropriate marital relationships and interactions are supposed to be because your thinking has been conformed to the world to where all you see is yourself. Now when something happens, it's manipulated through that grid of self, which is the world system, and you get offended because you're not getting your, me, your needs satisfied, which actually... The only way you get your needs satisfied in God is to lay your life down. Pick up your cross and follow him. And he shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory. So what I need in life ain't even in here anyway. <laughs> How many of you here have ever had a single person fulfill all your needs? Why you keep other than Rachel? I know you. <laughs> I know. Changing the way you think, transformation. It comes from changing how we think in relation to God. You know, people like A.W. Tozer made a profound comment about the most important thing in life is to think rightly about God. What did he mean by that? To understand God rightly. It's what everything in life hinges on. I think, I think, I think. We hear that a lot. I think, I think. And, and I understand. Scripture's open to interpretation. We have to have people that interpret it and teach it to us. But even what I think the Scripture's saying that I teach you, you shouldn't just take that as the gospel. It is my interpretation of the gospel. You should take my interpretation of the gospel and then take the gospel and get along and read the gospel and see if my interpretation opens it up to you. You understand? God, God. And now what we're doing is we're, we're, we're so, we're so lit, set on hearing what the priest has to say and taking that as the gospel. And because one guy gets on YouTube and puts out a propaganda about what you can get by with, you're going to validate it because some nuthead over here who really is, is borderline a heretic is telling you that you can get by with something that Scripture plainly says you are a fool if you do this. <laughs> How are you going to get by with that? And I understand that when you really start preaching and all that and you start looking at the scripture, it slaps you and then your inner self wants to get offended at me or whoever's teaching it at the time. And so an offense comes. Well, where's offense come from? That shows you you already have a stronghold and whatever's, whatever's holding that stronghold up doesn't like that it's being shaken and broken and it's going to try to rise up and hold up that stronghold. The fact is, however we want to live, if you're not living in purity, you're not living biblical. I told a young man one time, he was like, uh, well, I just woke up the other night, and I woke up the other night at midnight, and I just thought about leaving. And I don't want to go into all the context and how he's living, but he's talking 
about this supernatural life that he's having with the Lord and this supernatural experience and this awesome, um, you know, relationship he's having with the Lord, but something's not right. Well, the fact, what's not right is that you're living in sin. You're living with a woman. You ain't married. You're sharing a bed with somebody that you ain't married to. And I don't care how you dress that up, and I'll tell you just like I tell my kids. You can, I love you, but you're living in open, rebellious, purposeful sin when you share a bed with somebody that you ain't married to. You are consciously making a choice to step outside of what God instituted between a man and woman. So you're making a choice. Now, is it any different than making the choice to, to do other things? I'm not, I'm not to judge all that. But don't expect me to put a stamp of approval on your life when I know you're living in rebellious sin. Don't come to me and ask me to mentor you and expect me to just pacify the fact that you're making conscious, rebellious choices to sin and yet you're sitting here saying you're struggling to hear God and it was probably God that woke you up at midnight and told you to get out of there because you're living outside the context of marriage. And if you ain't willing to put a ring on it and marry her, then you ought not to be laying up with her. Just saying. That's not how they said it in my day, but that's the truth. If you like it that much, if you, if you are all about her, then marry her. If she ain't marrying material, then do her daddy and her a favor and get out. Hit kick rocks. Right? I mean, I've had to contain... My, my mouth, many a supper table from young men who date my daughter. Now, you've been dating long enough. You either marry or you need to get gone. <laughs> we had those conversations, haven't we? And what happens? They always end up crying. You know, everybody's at the table crying but me, and I'm looking around like, what did I do? <laughs> I'm like, I just said the truth. I don't know why all y'all can't. You want to make a female cry, start talking like that. And then I'm getting it in the kitchen, you know. She knows that. She already knows that. Well, I don't know why you've got to say that. Look, I kept my mouth shut until you asked me. If you don't want to know how I think, don't ask me. I was perfectly fine. Just eat my roast beef, keep my mouth shut. But if you're going to ask me, no, this is how it needs to be. But anyway, okay, I'm, I digress. For I say, perfect, well, let's just go back. Transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may know what the will of God is. How do we renew our mind? Titus says that we're, our mind is renewed by the Holy Spirit, the renewing of the Holy Ghost in Titus 3, 5. The renewing of the Holy Ghost. And what does it say in Ephesians 5.26 about, that's right, Ephesians 5.26. This is what Christ did for the church. Husbands, read this. This is the standard you're supposed to be living by. Do I get this right all the time, Ange? <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no, I don't. You know, because I can get caught up in that world system of thinking that it's all about me. You know? I can get caught up that just like you can get caught up in it. We can all look at each other and judge each other, but we all are wrestling with the same thing. We want ourselves taken care of. 
as Christ also loved the church and he gave himself for it. He gave himself. He became a sacrifice for the church. That he might sanctify and cleanse it. How? With the washing of water by the word. That he might present it. What? Who's it? Us. How are you presented to Christ? How do you look after the washing of water by the word? This is how you look. You look like a glorious church. Not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing. But that it should be holy and without blemish. This is the standard. This is not what life's going to look like in heaven. This is what you're supposed to be looking like right now. He washed the church clean with himself. He was the word. And it's the word of God that keeps you in this area. Let's read it again. Glorious, no spots, no wrinkles, or any such thing. Holy and without blemish. That's how you are supposed to live. That's the price he paid so that you, well, we all sin. You know what you just did? You took the standard, and because you didn't want to live by the standard, you lowered it. You're supposed to live without sin. That's the standard. It says right here that he presented himself, the church, his bride, by washing of himself. He was the word. He washed us clean with himself. And now we are spotless, glorious, without wrinkle, or any such thing. Well, we all sin and come short of the glory of God. Sin, that's true. And you will probably sin again before you die. But if you make that the standard, all you're doing is putting a stamp of approval on your disability to live a pure life. Look, that's all you're doing. Let's be truthful with ourselves. All we're doing is justifying our behavior. That is being conformed to this world. When they first implemented the exit exam, we had to take it. Didn't we have to take it? Did we not have Yeah, we had to take it. Well, I'm looking at Angela. She's saying no. I knew we had to take it. Whatever it was. We had to take some tests that we sat in the gym and colored around on a piece of paper, and then they said we could graduate or not. But I think at the time, there were certain standards in that test that were 10th grade level, and some of them were even on the 8th grade level. All right? Well, a lot of people could not pass the test. So what did we do? In our brilliance, we didn't go back and say, let's examine how we're teaching people and get them up to the standard. What did we do? We lowered the standard. And in society, what happens when people don't measure up? We don't want to assume responsibility that we have failed them. We've got to just lower the standard. In the NFL, we lower the standard. In everything that we do in life, we lower the standard, right? Why? Because we don't want to have to try to push ourselves and live in a, in, in a way that puts us up to the standard. That's conformity, guys. Come on. It's conformity. Don't be conformed to this world. Well, he's just my baby. I love him, and he's just doing the best he can. And that's love him. And he 
probably isn't doing the best he can. You're just loving him over it. But the fact of the matter is, disobedient lifestyles are disobedient lifestyles, and you can't dress that up to make baby feel better about it. You know? Being disrespectful to your parents is pure biblical disobedience. Isn't it? I'm just saying these are, these are real life issues that we deal with, right? Me just, just going off at Angela because she got my hammer out of my toolbox and it ain't there and I can't find it and I can't never find it. Yeah. You feel my pain, right? It's like I know I put it in there. I know I specifically picked it up and put it there so I would know where it was the next time I got ready to use it. But it's just a reflection of the inner turmoil that's going on in my heart if I allow that to explode and I vomit all of this emotional dysfunction because of it. Now eventually, what would my wisdom teach me to do? Buy her her own hammer. Peace. And I bought her one. But she don't know where it is. <laughs> don't start telling the truth up here. Don't be conformed. Don't allow the, the way the world's intellect and reason performs to affect how you think. you got to take your mind to a different level. How do we do that? Through the Holy Spirit, as Holy Spirit guides us through the Word. And that Word transformed gives off the context that it's a continual growth, man. This is not, we don't expect, we don't expect people to get saved one day and everything is different. No, we, I mean, everything is different spiritually, but they still have some perverted strongholds and ways of thinking that we have to work through, and we got to show people grace for that. I understand that, but we can't lie to them. That's not grace. That he might sanctify and cleanse the washing of the word. Let's go back to Romans. I, I got one point I want to make before we close. All right, go down to Romans 12, verse 3. For I say through the grace given to me by every man that he's among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought. This goes back to the conformity issue. You thinking that your interpretation of Scripture, even though you have ten people around you who are seasoned in the Lord, who all agree that your interpretation is wrong, but you think more highly of yourself because your interpretation supports your bad behavior. It's a context in which an individual can think more highly of himself than he are. You understand, I feel like I get some revelation on the word, but I understand I am not revelation, right? That's thinking more highly than you should. There's a lot of times I've been wrong. I've preached things for years, taught things in Sunday school class. I've been teaching Sunday school since I was 22. Taught things in Sunday school class that I'm finding out now Paul probably was wrong. 
This is why you can't just take somebody's opinion. It wasn't wrong that it would lead you to hell. It just wasn't exactly the right interpretation. It was probably a few things taken out of context. But if you look at this, think more highly of himself than he ought. You know what that means. But to think soberly, what's he dealing with here? Your rationale, how you think, how you are transformed into a different being based upon your your, uh, willingness to allow Holy Spirit to... uh, reveal the scriptures in your mind. Bringing into captivity every thought into the obedience of Christ. Our weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty through God. Pulling down the strongholds. Any high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. That's all right here. All of that's taking place right here. According as God has dealt, hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. Now, we've always been taught that that measure of faith is an amount, okay? And it is. And I understand that. I'm, I'm not going to argue that. And, and like I said, I tried to find anything that I could from people that I follow behind that is opposite of that, and they all teach that. And that's a, that's a correct interpretation of it. But as soon as I can get this crazy thing to open here, You got internet? Huh? That word measure, you have to trust me, it's a Greek uh, word and in the concordance strongs, it's 3358. There's two definitions of that word, measure. And if you look at this, Revelation chapter 21, Matthew and Mark solidify this definition. That that word measure is metron, and it means a unit by which things are measured. It actually gives a measuring stick as an example. So yes, it's a unit of measurement, an amount, a portion, I think is the word that it uses. It's amount given. That's one definition. The other definition is that it is a. it actually uses also the word standard. Now what does that mean? That means that we've been given... A standard of faith. God has dealt to every man the standard of faith. Now I understand we have to have a measure of faith to be able to even believe that He is God and that Jesus is Lord. I understand all that. So yes, He granted us that. He gave us that or we wouldn't have the ability to even receive Him. But also He's given us the standard of faith. Which is whom? Jesus, God has dealt to every man the standard in which he must live by. And you can say, well, you're misinterpreting that now. Look, Just look at the definition for yourself. Trust me, it won't load for some reason, but that is the definition. This is why you should always print one off. What does that mean? That means we have been given, for this season that we're about to get into, in January probably through April maybe, We're going to get into and we're going to examine the standard. And the standard is Jesus. And we're going to look at our life. How does it compare to the standard? This is not about... There you go. A measure. It also means a portion. God, that's a lot. 
Yeah, I'll just let you read all that yourself. That's the whole point. And it is a root word, so it's not, an, it's not a word taken from another word. That's very important when you're studying Scripture. I was just trying to point out to you that it is an amount, and we've heard it preached that way, and I heard John Paul Jackson, I listened to a podcast, he is preaching that God's given you this amount of faith to be able to receive Him and to understand and accept that Jesus is Jesus. And I do agree with that, and I know that that's a definition. But it's also used as a measuring rod, something that we measure ourselves against. We have been given this standard of faith by which we must live by. And so that standard is Jesus. And so we're going to begin to look at how we measure up. How does our thinking measure up to the way that we're supposed to be thinking? How does our life look? Why? Because to make Christ the center, that Christ would dwell more literally be permanently at home in your hearts and in your lives, that he would become the center of your life and your community. No more mere acquaintances. Why is that important? Because when Christ is the center, it affects your money. When Christ is the center, it affects every relationship you have. When Christ is the center, it affects how you see the injustice that's going on in your community. When Christ is the center, it bathes every word that comes out of your mouth. When Christ is the center of your life, it changes everything. Now, some of us have, we have Christ as the center of our eternal security. But we have not made Christ the center of our everyday life. We say that we do in this house. But we continuously live as practical atheists. Practically, we're living in a way that we don't even acknowledge that there is an you. 